Welcome to episode 769 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright, team, welcome along to episode 769 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm okay, Bevan. How about you? Yeah, John's done me a big favour. Mm-hmm. I flicked him an email. Literally, he's probably going to the airport on Friday. Yep, I was at the airport. I think I was in the in the Cory Lounge pegging my face out. Oh, God, well, I probably saved you because I know you have a habit of overeating this. So I probably saved you five minutes of eating. It didn't work. There's <laughs> no saving. There's no saving me. I said to him, mate, I'm thinking about going to Tikapo for a few days. Can we record a day earlier? And he said, oh, you know, it's Sunday night. It's Monday's big day. But he's a good man. He came through for me. So thank you very much for that, John Newson. No problem. Did you get on a plane feeling bloated? Both directions. Both directions? Yeah, both directions. Oh, coming out in both directions? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking is proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patrons. Let's name a few Jombos. It's one of my all-time favourites, Phil, the big brown, whitehead. We've got our Iona, my old flatmate, yep. Snow Trooper McKenzie. Uh, Jonathan the Ringer Pike. And we've got Sam Hot Rod Hicks. These are people who support the show. If you want to become a patron, go www.imtalk.me. Uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a website of the week. We've got an interview with Dougal Allen. Now, because John was at the airport eating. I said, Bevan, do some work. <laughs> sort out an interview. Okay, if I'm going to change my life, do something for me. So I, I got in contact with Dougal and I did the interview yesterday. It's a really good interview. I think you guys will really love this interview. Uh, so we've got that. And then, Coach, no, we're not going to do Coach's Corner. We're going to questions and answers. John. Challenge what Monica happened. And actually, I actually got Dougal in the first part of our interview to do it because he was doing emceeing there. So he goes over a little bit as well. But Kyle Smith? I would have got fourth, Bevan. You would have got fourth as well if we'd been racing pro. Oh, really? Was it that the field wasn't Well, no, in terms of pros because there was only three male pro finishers and four female pro pro finishers. Uh, And it was kind of as you expected the race to pan out. Um, Kyle Smith had a bit of a lead in the swim, pushed it out on the bike as he has done in all his other races. And then uh, you might hear from Dougal, I'm not quite sure what happened on the run. It came to be very, very close here, about three minutes going into the run. And Braden Curry... four. Four. Yeah. Braden Curry got within about 10 seconds of him at the finish. Uh, and Kyle Smith hung on. So whether or not he had another explosion, I haven't seen his race report yet, or um, whether he just faded, or whether he was just uh, playing it tactically nice and calm... He took the win, and that's what three four or five. Well, three from three against Curry, isn't it? Yep. So he's, this season he's had uh, Wanaka, he's had Tauranga, and uh, Rotorua, and last season he had seventy point three, and I think t- uh, Tauranga as well. So I think it must be five wins on the trot. Now, and let's be honest, we were all picking Brady going into this. Braden going into this race. I can't remember who I picked last week. I think we thought hometown advantage. I thought it'd be good for Braden Curry to win just to give Carl Smith a little kick in the nuts to say, <laughs> in hey, nuts even. hey, <laughs> not in the butt. Hey, in the I'm the man. Hey, you, boom. I'm getting ready for Taupo, and this is this is this is me. So, but good racing. But I think it's good for Carl Smith to have a couple of explosions or fades or nearly being caught just so he doesn't go into Ironman New Zealand thinking he is just going to absolutely crush it. Although having said that. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Anyway, they went 1-2. Jack Moody was uh, in third place, but good on Braden Curry. Ran his guts out um, to finish very close second. Apparently even Moody was catching up. 
He, yeah, he was. So run times was one nineteen for Kyle Smith. Now this run was off road, totally different. Quite hard time, apparently. Times kind of seem pretty similar to what you'd normally get. What did Braden run? He ran one fourteen fifty six, so maybe a couple of minutes yeah, slower yeah, than what you'd normally get. Jack Moody went one fifteen. Uh, so yeah, they were, we're both closing in, but uh, Kyle Smith takes home the bacon, five thousand dollars New Zealand female race. And very much as expected here, Hannah Wells um, just dominated the dojo, looked like she sort of shut things down a bit on the run, only ran a 132, she's a much better runner than that, and Torsten's ratings indicate that as well, in terms of her time is red, meaning she went slower than expected, uh, but she had such a big lead, she was 10 minutes in front of Rebecca Clark, so the, the problem with the race was Ter- Teresa Adam um, pulled out about a week or a little bit more than a week before, which yeah. meant um, we weren't going to have that sort of head-to-head battle, um, so we have to wait a couple more weeks weeks until Ironman New Zealand where hopefully Theresa Adams um, pulled herself back together and going to go smash it. Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, you, based on your research, the bike was a little bit short. Yeah, I looked at those times initially. I thought, jeepers, that, it's a, it was a quite a challenging bike course. They changed it this year, moved locations. It was five lap bike course. Yet Carl Smith rode a two hundred five, and I thought, wow, that is pretty sharp. Of the three files that I've looked at, they're all basically eighty five k's. So okay. that's quite short. And if they stick with the same course, same format for next year. Please advertise the bike course 85 kilometres because it's not 90 kilometres. Or just don't, make it right. Sorry? Or make it right. Yeah, I think they've got limitations there. But yeah, don't go telling people it's 90 k's when it's not. So interestingly, speaking to Dougal, which you're going to hear, so he actually really enjoyed it and he said the laps worked quite well. Hmm. Yeah, because he thought it might be a bit tedious, but she said it worked really well, um, the way the laps worked. So. We'll wait and, I'll wait and get some more feedback from athletes. I've only sort of heard from one so far. She said it wasn't too bad, but the, the numbers were down quite a bit. So I think with a, with a lot more people on the course, then it would be quite different. So changes change has changed the swim sounded like it was great the run sounded like it's a differentiating, fa- differentiating factor you know in terms of being off-road some hills in there so that's cool if you like that kind of thing but you're not going to go there and probably set a, set a personal best run um, no. then it comes down to the bike um, what that's going to look like in the next few years I would hope they can make some changes and actually get a different course from what, from from what I hear back, and this is pure rumours, I can't remember who told so me. You're spreading rumors. fake news. Well, I just, I just don't think it was sustainable in town anymore. Mm. You know, and, and you know, with road closures and stuff nowadays, you know, you know, we're putting on races. The cost mm. of putting the closing off roads roads is is ridiculous. And so, if this is how this race stays sustainable, and the feedback I've had from people, I've spoken to a couple of people, they really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, if this is the future, and we and can we look too deeply at the drop in numbers this year, or was it more just COVID? Yeah, probably a COVID thing. So in terms of the the half Ironman race here, they only had two hundred and thirty finishes out of uh, versus three hundred and fifty eight last year, which is a thirty five percent drop. And um, we do have the challenge in New Zealand that no Aucklanders, which is our biggest city, couldn't go down. Yep. No international athletes. So and people yeah. do go overseas for this race. Yeah. So know. I wouldn't read too much into that. I picked a random age group of the week oh, here we just go. because I thought I'd pluck an age grouper out of there using random.org. He finished in 53rd place overall. Joe Sutherland, his uh, his swim time, he did 34-32, which placed him 60th position in the swim. Joe needs to sharpen up on his transitions. He was only 92nd through through transition. Sharpen it, mate. Uh, bike ride, he, he was steadily improving there. Went from 85th, 90, 77, 75, 70. So nice gains there much better second transition, and then came home with a solid run, one hour 54, nice. um, and that was 59th, as opposed to where he came out of the swim, which was in oh, one one place difference, but overall, nice balanced race. So Joe Southern, you are our age, age group of the week. week.
Love your work. Uh, Jombo, big news. This is huge news. Uh, Challenge Road has moved its event through to September this year. Saw that, uh, yeah, late last week, and then Iron Man followed suit pretty quickly, so can't say you're really so what, surprised. When you say Iron Man, is it Iron Man Journey? No, Iron Man um, announced a number of other races oh, that were okay. going to shift, so I think it's a, it's a good move, good move to make the call early, nothing worse, you know, now is the time where people are going to start their build-up if they're going to do a July race, yeah. and you just... Don't want to kick people in the. I don't know. I'm talking about kicking yeah, in the nuts. Yeah, I watched a movie. What was it called? Um, Grown Ups or something like that. Oh, yeah, we watched yeah. it on Netflix, and a guy got kicked in the nuts a couple of times. <laughs> it was. I remember one of the funniest movies. It was a funny but not funny movie. Um, so I married an ex murderer, which was Mike Myers, who did like Austin Powers and mm-hmm. and those movies. And uh, the guy kicks the woman in the fanny. Because <laughs> she kicked them in the nuts, and I just never <laughs> something about that made me crack up because it was, yeah, just bizarre. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think it's a good move. Um, it means you know, slightly more realistic for people to actually have a race if we see racing this season, which you kind of getting your fingers crossed that these things it's, might, it's, might happen. We're starting to see the first of this part, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. so I noticed that um, next week or the weekend after next, I think the same weekend as Iron Man New Zealand, Israel Man is supposed to be on. Um, they're getting an announcement, but they they're like sound like they're over 50% vaccinated. So hopefully that'll go ahead. Hopefully this racing will happen, but I think it's a good move. It is going to mean the calendar is very congested uh, late in the season, but hey, it's well, better to have a congested calendar than no calendar. Well, and at some all. races will drop. So one mm. question, one question I have, and this is totally out there: Kona doesn't go to head. They announced next week Ironman World Championships happening in New Zealand. What? <laughs> you no, I'm just, I, I had not factored that in. <laughs> in terms of the elite field. They're not going to have an elite field there, are they? Where's, where's this? Well, if it, at um, Rote. Rote. If they've shifted it to September the 5th. Yeah, true. If Kona's happening, people ain't racing uh, Rote if five, Kona's six happening, weeks out. I, I know you think it's happening. Kona's yeah. happening. If these races are happening, Kona's happening. Yeah, these races are happening. So, hmm. Hadn't thought that through, so it might just be more of a age grouper and can, a sort can, of a second tier race. Can you go to America race. right now? Sorry? Can you go to America? Like New Zealand, we're not leaving people in. Is America leaving people in? Uh, don't know the answer to that. People got there for Daytona. A mm. uh, pros totally different story. Pro, we're talking age groupers. Pros, definitely. Yeah. So the other races that have moved Ironman have uh, shifted a bunch from sort of the that sort of spring period um, from April May. Uh, things like Marbella, um, Venice, um, Majorca, Ironman Majorca, um, Lanzarote. They've all moved. So all the races in May, not all, but from what I can see, races in May have all shifted to July and September. So the question I have is, I'd love to know the entries, because you know who's entering races right now. If you're an athlete, and the thing is, they aren't selling out. But they're all just rolling over from the previous year, so they'll True. all be full. So how many people turn up? I think is probably the bigger question. I think again, America, all the races are sold out mainly because of rollovers. So I don't think entry levels are going to be a problem as long as people can travel and people feel safe enough to travel. I don't think that's going to be a problem. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, the flow on effect further down the track, what happens to our sport, whether people stay engaged with it or whether just in sport in general people go in slightly different directions. Yeah, it's, 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 I just find it really interesting. Like Even in New Zealand, like Challenge Wanaka last weekend luckily happened, but people from Auckland couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they headed around the bays in Wellington. They didn't let people from Auckland enter in the race. You know, mm-hmm. so there is, you know, like for a race like an Ironman where you drop in at least a thousand bucks, would mm. you enter? Um, and you could probably assume that you can enter the week of. Most, I think, most races now have got a reasonable deferral system. So, like, I'd enter if they said 
if it doesn't happen, you get deferred to next year or something like yeah. that. So I think it'd be pretty hard for race organisers to say at the moment if you're taking entries, you're not going to return the money, then uh, then that's a problem. Yeah. It's bizarre. Bit of ITU, ITU update news. Uh, Bahrain 13. We don't hear too much from them these days, to be honest. Um, but they've added a few people to their lineup for the 2021 season. They've uh, added Cassandra Bolgrand, um, who is a sensational French athlete who hasn't quite yet, she's still very young, but hasn't quite lived up to her potential. A couple of years ago, she did this um, race, I think it was in Hamburg, in an uh, ITU sprint distance race, and she just dominated the dojo on the run like she was Gwen Jorgensen like on the run nobody could get close to her and I thought right she's going to just absolutely kill everybody from here on in and she's been okay in certain races but certainly hasn't won anything so I'm yep. um, just she's she's sort of is she living up to potential yeah but she still is very young so we'll wait and see on that one um, Henry Schumann and Tyler Misselchuk um, so they're basically trying to build up a squad that they can dominate the dojo at the Olympics. Uh, so Schumann joins up now with uh, Vicky Holland, who's already on the squad, uh, Javier Gomez and Alistair Brownlee. And I assume Vincent Louis is still on the team. He's still listed on the Bahrain 13 um, website, but they didn't mention him in this press release. But he's, you know, certainly one of the hot favourites. So highly likely we're going to see at least some medals going to the Bahrain 13 team from Tokyo, if it happens. Hmm, interesting. Uh, going back to you, don't hear much from. I got an email from the other day. Must have been this press release, and I thought I actually subconsciously thought, "Oh, we don't get that much nowadays." That being said, there hasn't been much racing happening. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, very good. Uh, I've got Super League coming up, though. Okay, this week's discussion. So last week, uh, a few weeks ago, on the news, there was a, a piece around the top ten athletes of all time in the modern era, and in the top ten, I think they gave one female athlete. And it did make me think: A, was it a bit sexist? And then B, um, do people actually know that many, you know, like the top, you know, when you think the top 10 male athletes, you're going to get a Jordan, you're going to get a Wood, you're going to get, you know, Phelps, you know, there's these names that kind of mm-hmm. just pop into your head. And then I have to admit, when I thought, when Joe and I at night when we watching the news, we just said to ourselves, what are, who would be the top 10? Now, it's an interesting discussion because in New Zealand, for example, Top female sports aren't global sports. Mm-hmm. So although cricket's becoming a bigger thing and rugby's becoming a bigger thing, but traditionally it was like a netball and, and sports mm-hmm. like that. So it, it's maybe that's part of the reason. So we just kind of wanted to chuck it out there. For you guys, who would you name as the top 10 female athletes of all time? And I've got to be honest, we didn't get a huge response here, John. So it's interesting. Um, it is. And I think maybe we should have almost put the question diff- differently as the top 10 biggest sports stars because I think there's a massive... I think that you can debate who's been the biggest star yeah. versus you can't debate who's the best athlete of all time. That does my head in. Somebody <laughs> said Tom Brady, greatest athlete of all time. And I'm like, what? That's just stupid saying that. Well, to me, to me, you've got to go... It's like a Messi. To me, it's like a football player. Because yeah. how, many, how many people play football in the world? Mm. How many people play green line? Mm. It's like, it's, it's the numbers. So to be, like I remember in my career, I, I, luckily in my career, I kind of achieved my biggest achievement, which is become a video presenter for Les Mills. And I, and I did it for a program called Body Attack. Now for Les Mills, their biggest program is Pump. So for, well, it probably isn't nowadays, but back when I started it was. And so like, you know, there's probably 20,000 pump instructors in the world at that time, maybe 50,000 pump instructors at the world at that time, and there's probably 20,000 body tech instructors. And I got to be the, 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 the to the top of that podium for body attack 
and then my mate got to the fourth pump and I always thought I said to him well, I think it's a bigger achievement because mm. so many more pump instructors to get to the top of that peak is a mm. harder peak and so for the football like if you're the best soccer player in the world you're probably the most playing the, the sports that's most participated in the world mm. totally agree. you know so that's it's a harder thing to be that than be the best field hockey player in the world mm. which is a big sport but it ain't the same kind of thing and so it is yeah, Brady is definitely a legend don't get us wrong but in his sport but how many people play gridiron yeah. in, in America mm. obviously but worldwide mm. and whereas basketball I've never met anybody in my life uh, sorry I've never met any New Zealander ever play gridiron before I had one mate who did mm. yeah, like a local league he played um, whereas basketball be the best basketball oh, yeah. player in the world mm-hmm. It's a beast effort because mm-hmm. there's so many. So it's, it's an interesting discussion. But anyway, let's go through it, John. So, uh, okay. Um, John Weir said, Martina Navratilova, and I'm only naming her because she is that great. I can't. Okay. Lynette uh, Atani has got one to, uh, to go on the list is Mildred Ella Babe. Has her last name, John? Well, it's in, I, I don't know how you say it either. Zaharias? Yeah. I, I did a quick search. Dirk Ritson. Dirk Ritson Have you ever heard of her before or not? Never in my life. So apologies to everybody who has heard of her, but I I thought I'll just chuck into Google who are the top yeah. top and the top female athletes of all oh, time. I, I did that as well. And they're all American websites, so most of the athletes are American. Yep. But she was like number one or in the top three in most of them. She was so she was a black American athlete uh, who ex- – oh, you, sorry, I'm stealing your well, – no, she, uh, she excelled at golf, basketball, baseball, track and field. She won two Olympic gold medals in track and field in the 32 Summer Games before turning to professional golf, golf and winning 10 LPGA major championships. Now, I've got to be honest, when I kind of did throw this question out here, I was kind of in modern era. Hmm. So not many, you know, time has probably lost her, her stigma but, or her prestige, but <laughs> pretty phenomenal. Can't say, and, and the thing is, I'm pretty sure she was um, a black athlete, so to be doing yeah. golf in 1932. Far out, yeah, female golfer. That is out there. Yeah. It's good on her. Um, Thomas Peeps says, Dame Tani Gray Thompson. Don't know who she is. Okay, we'll uh, Martina Navratilova, the Williams sisters, Billie Jean King, Jackie Joyner Kersey, Megan Rapinoe. Don't know who she is either. I know the others. And then ran out, and I'll revert to British athletes, Nicola Adams, Dame Kelly Holmes, and Paula Radcliffe. Uh, she's a disabled athlete, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong. But, uh, no, I think that's right. Ferelli, Ferelian, how do you say his name? Florian. Florian Hogg. Uh, I think Chrissy Wellington ought to be up there on the list of the all sports. Uh, another one I'd nominate is uh, Katrina Huck. From Carolina Clout. Clout, Heptathlon. What they both share is stepping away from the sport is seemingly unbeatable, which is definitely true. Uh, he's also got Michaela Schriffen. Uh, she's an alpine skiist. Seems to be her best way of smashing the records in the sport as well. So yeah, she's yeah. And you put Catherine Schweitzer down there for the impact on on running. Can't say I've heard of Catalina Klauft. I no. think I've heard of this Chrissy Wellington woman. Yeah, I think she did something. She, she did okay. Does she go on the list? Sorry, does she go on the list? Well, I kind of did stars, so definitely not. Uh, well, UK. I don't know whether she was a big star over there. I assume she was no, reasonable. She, she was, but um, okay. Yeah. Gregory Ashley, Beryl Burton. Never heard of her, sorry. I know that's a few more. Uh, Beryl Burton, never heard of her. Nicole Cook, she's a cyclist, I think. Beryl Burton, let's BJK. Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King, yep. yep. Kathy Freeman, obviously heard of her. She's a um, 
400 meter runner. Greta Whites, Mary Peters, Heike Dressler. She was a high jumper, wasn't she? Martina Navratilova, Marion Voss, and Katie Ledecky. Uh, John Levinson, she was a cyclist. Uh, Beryl was. Uh, John Levinson says Simone Byers. Mike Bowie says Steffi Graf for her record and Rhonda Rousey for Changed Culture. Have you done, have you done, I'm going to go Judd Baker has got Tia Claire Toomey, uh, Flojo. Flojo's an interesting one because she, she kind of went on my list but, well, well, she never got caught for drugs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she is arguably the greatest track and field athlete of all time and she, and she wasn't busted. Now, mm. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's the, a good argument. Maybe she was on, but uh, Susan Devoy, Serena Williams. Susan Devoy. Uh, there's probably a Kiwi bias here, but she was the world squash champion, and she was dominant for. She won like ten world champions or something. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very successful. John Levison says Simone Biles. I did that one. Uh, and then Graham McCallum. Have you got him? Serena Williams, Martina Martina Navratilova, um, Lindsay Vaughn, Paula Radcliffe. Nadia, how to say that was a young girl, wasn't Come she? Come on, she, she is a gymnast. And then Billie Jean King. So it's interesting because what we've got here is a, like a Billie Jean King, I don't know how good a tennis player she was. I don't think she was like a, a Williams. You know, she was mm. uh, she was a champion winner, don't get me wrong, but she wasn't like a Serena Williams who she won that many titles or a mm. Steffi Graf. But obviously her impact on women's sport was absolutely huge. Mm. So there's kind of, we're kind of seeing a few angles here, aren't we? We're seeing people who are just legendary athletes, then we're seeing the impact on sport mm-hmm. and then probably star factor so what did you come up with John uh, most, and I just purely went on star factor not if they were the most successful or not and this is all sort of fairly modern stuff so I had Serena Williams Paula Radcliffe Annika Sorensen she was a golfer Flo Joe and Steffi Graf and Simone Biles and I also had Marion Jones until she got busted but you know you could put a lot. Of, she got busted. A lot of people didn't get busted. That maybe yeah, like a flojo. Flo like, yeah, you know. We hey, we can't say she definitely did drugs, but but I found it quite a hard task. I'll admit. Yeah, Just, like if I had, I had to go to a list. Yeah, you know, I had to go to a list, and and when I went to a list, I, I found a couple of lists. But I was like, geez, I don't know half the names on these lists. Mm. Now some of them were sports. I don't know a lot about. Mm-hmm. So I kind of same as you. I've also got Jackie John Acosta. Yeah, she was very successful. Uh, Lindsay Vaughn. Yep. So I did a bit of research. So so she's only one of two female skiers to win four World Cup championships overall. She won three consecutive titles. Uh, She was also the first American woman to win a gold medal in the downhill. So she was obviously pretty successful. And then Katie Lissick. Katie Ledecky. Ledecky, I'm sorry. She's a very good swimmer. And uh, a lot of people have her on their their lists. I just, haven't, I just don't follow swimming very much, to be honest, which no, is neither. kind of weird, given we do, we do swim, bike and run. Uh, watch a bit of it at the Olympics. Um, and obviously, I've heard of her and know she's awesome. But, yeah, just don't really follow that. I think, yeah, the, the sports that tend to get the biggest star factor are the, uh, tennis, golf. Football um, now? Athletics. You know, yeah, you think fe- like fe- female yeah. football's like the America's, like, sorry, the last women's fe- um, FIFA World Cup, absolutely huge numbers. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking from my Kiwi perspective. Yeah. I don't think. Could you, could you name one female football player? I couldn't. No. Mm. No. Anyway. What about top. F- well, who would you say is the best New Zealand female athlete of all time? Um, probably Valerie Adams, maybe. Shopper. Yeah, she won two golds. Two golds. There's lots. Susan Devoy, Barbara Kendall. Just have to go through all the gold medalists, really. I'm going to um, totally blank. The canoeist. Uh, Lisa Carrington. She's a beast, mate. Tell you mm. what, if, if you're, if you're, she makes, it, it, oh, she's a beast of a woman. Mm. 
She's got the best traps in the world, eh? So she wins the Olympic gold medals and world championships multiple times for canoeing. 500, I think the 500 and the 250 canoe yeah. sprints. Just beast of a woman. Athlete, man. Awesome. Okay, uh, this week's discussion. If you could win a, a day with a pro, who would you want to meet and what would you want to, what would you want to do, do with them? Mm. Yeah. You take that wherever you want, to be honest. <laughs> okay, John, let's do website of the week. And good old Andrew Ashton sent through this one. It's basically talking about Nick Beer. So Nick Beer's got a massive YouTube channel. Um, I can't thank you enough for your podcast and some really good listening, comedy moments, and the f- great factual advice. In these times of little racing, I wanted to bring your attention to a little individual, a certain individual that seems he's to be... not little. No, he's not. You know, <laughs> he's blowing up on YouTube and Instagram. Nick Beer is the co-founder of BPN... Performance Nutrition, which is a nutrition company that he, his brother, and a team of Austin, Texas athletes put together. He is now, the reason I'm mentioning this guy is he did an Ironman Florida back in 2019 and he completed his first Ironman in 11.28. Nothing special, I hear you say. But he's a super keen bean and trains like a madman. He used to be a US Ranger Marine and is built like a tank. He is built like a tank, guys. This is where people divided it. Is he natural or not? Is he chemically enhanced? To be honest, I don't really worry about that as it doesn't seem to affect me other than creating a bad noise in our sport. But his dedication to training is incredible. Each Sunday, his media team put a YouTube video showing his progress and has been training to do a sub three hour marathon to qualify for Boston. With everything being cancelled, he and his teammate made a race and worked towards with his run coach and triathlon coach, Natasha van der Mui. Uh, created their own marathon, which Nick ran in 2.56. His training is now geared up to Ironman Texas, where he'll improve his time, but the videos, his videos, production, insight, and most of the commentary in his YouTube video clips are incredible. As you can imagine, people from Texas are pretty vocal. Anyway, just thought there might be some interest for you guys to see that. So did you watch it? Uh, I've just uh, scanned very quickly. So yeah, the name's Nick Beer. He's got a YouTube channel. I will say... As, as um, Andrew pointed out, uh, he's from Texas, and just think about typical, not typical. Um, just says what he thinks. Yeah, says yeah. what he thinks, and every, no, not every, but very close to every single screenshot of his YouTube channels, he does not have a top on. Do you know what, there's fitness nowadays, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fitness like, play, like, I'm really proud of the fact that I've never taken my clothes off as a fitness professional other than once yeah. I did a billboard where I was totally naked but yeah. but, but I was paid for that um, I'll pay to get naked yeah. but <laughs> but um, yeah like it's, it's kind of it was, I think CrossFit started that because yeah. in my world I would have never thought to exercise in front of people with my top off Yeah, you know like as a as a leader yeah. you know like sometimes a hot day I'll take my top off when I'm out for a run but um but then CrossFit came along and suddenly, you know, like in a CrossFit workout, guys just rip their tops off. It's, you know, it's kind of what you do. And I just, it's been, it's, it's kind of the trend now, it's, you know. And you know what, you're selling image if you've got an image. It's all right. So, I mean, if it's your cup of tea, it's great. And I will say the production is really, really cool. And I think it's awesome that he's gone and done a, a 256. That's nothing to... And he's a big unit. He's a big unit. Like he'd probably be at least 100 kg, wouldn't he? Yeah. Because he looks pretty tall as well. For somebody with limited experience in this area, granted he'd be mentally tough, works out like a beast. Um, So I just think it's cool to to look at other people's journeys. It might be slightly different for your own. It's not really my cup of tea, but there's still that little interest factor. I won't go through and watch all the channels, but you know, you might go, what is a guy like that actually, what is he actually doing? And that's what I was impressed because you can get, I've seen another bodybuilder guy who did an Ironman and, and it, again, awesome. 
like, can you imagine carrying that much weight around an Ironman? Mm. You know, um, but again, it's, you know, it's just a cool kind of achievement. Whereas to go sub three for a guy of that size, mm. great achievement. Um, there's so much stuff on YouTube now. Again, I'm not there necessarily watching, but so many pros now have got good channels. Um, Richard Murray, I see he posts quite a bit there. Um, Joe Skipper's Tim always Don, posting stuff. Tim and Marini, yeah, um, Sanders. Yeah, so plenty out there for you guys to watch while you're on the trainer. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up. Uh, we're gonna, I'll put a link to those on on our um, show notes. So I, got, I caught up with Dougal Allen, uh, won coast to coast. He's retired from Ironman, but had a very successful time in Ironman. Uh, here he is right now. Right, Tim, I'm, I'm really happy to have legend, uh, legendary Kiwi athlete Dougal Allen on the show today. He's uh, been an Ironman in his time, but he's kind of taken that transition back to multi-sport recently. And we talked about it at a show last week about how he took out the coast to coast, which is that race we gave a lot of detail on. Uh, welcome to the show, Dougal. Thanks, Bevan. I think of triathlon as the meat in my multi-sport sandwich. I started oh, as a multi-sporter that, that's and a, that's back a being a multi-sporter, but there was triathlon somewhere in the middle. Well, it was a pretty, you did pretty well. So, so first of all, you're, you're, you're technically my roaming reporter for Challenge Wanaka that happened. We're recording this on Sunday, so happened yesterday. So maybe just take us through the race because it, was, it looked like it was another great bloody half Ironman in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, mate, it was a it wasn't a quantity pro field, but it was a quality pro field. Yeah. It's amazing to think that when the borders are shut, we can still have such world-class performances. And that's what we had yesterday in the pro race. So um, we had Kyle Smith, Braden Curry and Jack Moody all finishing within probably a couple of minutes of each other, maybe less actually, because I think Braden might've been 12, 13 seconds behind Kyle on the finish line. And Jack came in probably about a minute later. Please. So that was the men's race. And uh, yeah, I mean, between Kyle and, and Braden, and now with Jack only a minute behind, you've probably got a couple of guys that would be on the podium at races anywhere in the world. Yeah. So that was awesome to see. And then the women's race was probably a bit more predictable. Hannah Wells was always the favorite, and she proved that by finishing first by quite a few minutes. Bet Clark. And then Maeve, who's an exterior athlete from Australia, she finished third. So on debut, she'll be pretty happy too, I'd imagine. With the men's race, um, Kyle, from the reports I've read, kind of gunned it on the bike, got a pretty good advantage. Did it ever look like he was going, that Braden could catch him down? Or was it kind of, he just safely got the, like he always had it? Or was it looking pretty edgy at the end? It probably looked similar to Port of Tauranga, where Kyle swam off the front. He had 45 seconds on Braden coming out of the water. And then he just punched the bike as he tends to do. <laughs> and so he had about four and a half minutes starting the run. And based on Port of Tauranga, you would say it was still very much game on because that's a similar distance to what he had over Braden. And it came down to a handful of seconds in Tauranga. Yeah. And so the same thing, challenge Wanaka, four and a half minutes heading out onto the run. It was like 30 degrees. You ran the first 5K, I think, climbed all the way like it was a big uphill climb oh, off-road mountain bike tracks you would generally say that would suit Braden, but kyle's got an exterior background too yep. and so they sort of disappeared off into the hot hill country and we were all sort of left to wonder what might, might unfold and yeah as i say um Braden was closing the gap and just ran out of course in the end so i think they both look pretty pleased to cross the line and uh it's all on now i guess for iron man in two weeks so just, just with Kyle, but you know, he's come on in the last kind of 18 months and he's had these amazing results and, you know, Braden's an ex-athlete and to take Braden at home, you know, because, you know, you know, he had two up on Braden, but if you're a betting man, you probably would have said Braden's got hometown advantage. 
is kind of probably more desire for Braden at home. So how do you think he's going to, you know, he's young and keen and he's obviously got the ability. What's your thoughts on him and Ironman? Yeah, I mean, Cole's only really been on my radar for a yeah. few months, so I'm still learning. Yeah. But I know his coach, Tim Brazier, quite well, and, and everything would indicate he's got a bright future in the full Ironman as well. I mean, the guy, he, he, he swims, he's from that ITU background, so he, he swims. Dylan McNeese, who I was commentating with yesterday, said, you've basically got a guy who uh, can swim faster than Dylan, bike faster than Dougal, and still produce a good run at the end of it all. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's in the dark just as much as we are about how he will perform in an Ironman. But, you know, judging by the numbers and how he performs, you would be silly to bet against him. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate you're not racing on man because this year's Ironman in New Zealand is fascinating, isn't well, it? Well, he is. Yeah, you're, no, I'm saying you're not Iron. You're not racing. Oh, me. You know, yeah, like... yeah, don't worry about me, mate. <laughs> but it's, it's just, um, we've got a really interesting race coming up, haven't we? Oh, totally. And you again, know? it's like, man, it's hard to believe that you close the borders. Yeah. And it's like, oh, stink. We've only got Kiwi professionals. And then when you sit down and look at the start list, it's like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you almost forget that there are international athletes out there that would be racing as well because yeah. you've got a hell of a, uh, a show that's about to unfold in two weeks' time. Hey, so just, just before we move on to your racing, um, what was it like? Because Wanaka had the changes. That's different location. that's moved out of town. Um, what was the difference in the race? What was the feel? Uh, you know, what's kind of feedback on the race? Yeah, I mean, first time it's been held at Glendu Bay. And, uh, you know, the local farm owner there was very generous because I think there were a few things sort of pushing Challenge Wanaka out of town. Um, and so the future was probably becoming a bit uncertain. Okay. But thanks to the generosity of the landowner in Glendu Bay, who's a passionate triathlete, thankfully, uh, <laughs> the, the event was able to go ahead. And my God, like, it was absolutely spectacular. Um, we were very lucky with the weather, sunny, flat, calm swimming conditions and the backdrop for anyone was that was there. I'm sure one of the lasting memories for them taking part in the event will be the backdrop because it yeah. was just spectacular mountains, lakes, uh, you know, quiet. They closed the entire road for the bike course. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Um, multi could really, couldn't you? Because there's not much happening ski field wise or anything out that way, is there? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was a five lap bike course. I actually did the bike in a team and my concern was five laps would feel like a bit of a drag, Yeah. but it actually, surprisingly, the time went by so quickly. And every time you came back into the race um, location or HQ, I guess, to do the U-turn, there was a big crowd, live commentary, and you just had this you know, rush of energy as you went out on the next lap and five laps came and went pretty quickly. Okay. So and I was really impressed. Uh, it, well, it, it wasn't too congested. It was busy out there and there was a lot going on. But from my point of view, all the riders were, were riding well and that they were staying left if they weren't overtaking. Yeah. Uh, aid stations looked to be handling the influx of riders really well. And if anything, it just felt super engaging because there was just so much going on. You're often seeing you know, people that you know and passing other riders. It was, you know, it was it was an awesome atmosphere on the bike course. Hey, talk us through last weekend. So last well, last weekend, yeah, the weekend before this, uh, coast to coast. Um, it was an interesting day, wasn't it? Because the, the thing I found bizarre was Sam's bike at the start. What were you thinking when he took off on the bike at the start? Because it did seem like a, 
obviously he felt he needed the advantage, but it was just an interesting move. What were you thinking at that stage? Because you're an ex on the bike. I'm sure you could have gone with him. What was your thinking? Yeah, well, I had no idea that he went. Oh, did you not? I had no idea. Yeah, so um, it was a big group. And for anyone who doesn't follow the coast to coast basically you have this Le Mans start almost 2k sprint off the beach and it is a sprint for the top guys and they, everyone, even the people at the back I couldn't get over it I said go even the slow people were sprinting like there's no tomorrow it's the craziest it. feeling because you in the one day you're shooting out and you've got 11 to 12 to 13 to 14 hours ahead of you yeah and uh for the top guys you're running uphill at like three minute 20 pace <laughs> You're like, man, I've still got 11 hours to go. What am I up to? But everyone just does it. We're all full of adrenaline. We all want to make that front group. And yeah. so it's every year, it's just a frantic start. But traditionally, every year, you've got a group off the front that might have between sort of four and maybe up to sort of 15 top riders in it. And this year, the group sort of just came together and became a peloton of like 50 riders. And so I, I Mate, I'll be honest, I was doing nothing. I was just sitting in the group, just being complacent. And so uh, by all accounts, Sam was pretty motivated in that in that first ride. He probably got a bit frustrated because there wasn't much going on in the way of, you know, um, no one was rolling through, that sort of thing. And so he thought, bugger this, I'm out of here. And he had a few people go with him. And meanwhile, old mate sitting at the back having a yarn with (laughs) everyone around him. And uh, I had no idea it had happened. So... About 10k to go. It's a 55k ride. With about 10k to go, I finally caught word, and then yeah, I was on the front panicking, basically. Oh really? Timo trying to <laughs> trying to limit the loss, but he started the run with yeah two and a half minutes, I think, on me, which yep. certainly wasn't part of the script. Now I don't know Sam's strengths. We're, we're as as a competitor, where's where's his strengths? Yeah, Sam Matson. I mean, he's he lives in Christchurch. One of his main jobs is guiding the coast to coast run and kayak courses so a big strength of him is course knowledge he knows every nook and cranny which is a real advantage to be fair Um, and so the other thing with Sam is his off-road running and his river paddling are exceptional so he'll often be you know very competitive just in an off-road running event and or a pure kayaking event so those were probably the two areas he was looking to really push his his advantage in the race so so but interestingly as we look at how the race kind of panned out you you obviously caught up on the run or or within distance pretty quickly within the run no i mean i started the run with a group of guys that were all pretty handy runners and and sam was two and a half minutes up the front i had sort of planned to key a bit off Sam at the start of the run that didn't happen because obviously he had a head start mm. and so I sort of settled in with a group of there were probably five of us that were covering the terrain pretty efficiently um, we weren't getting much feedback as to where Sam was but we knew he was a few minutes ahead we couldn't see him so we knew he must have been holding his advantage or extending it and so cutting a long story short it's about a three-hour run and by the time I got to the end of that run, he had a seven-minute lead. So he put another four or five minutes on me through the run. Now, at this stage, what are you thinking? Well, my plan is always to to really pace myself through the first half of the day and, and really try and work to my strengths, which is more so the paddling and biking uh, in the second half of the day. I also probably run a bit more conservatively than a lot of the other elite athletes that's always been my approach and so I got to Klondike Corner which is the end of the run hearing that I was seven minutes back but still very much of the mindset that I was 
following my race plan okay. and uh, in a position to still be looking to win the race. So there wasn't it wasn't a panic moment. You was kind of like I'm trusting my plan. I've given myself good energy. Now I kind of start to play my cards. Yeah, it was probably ninety percent trusting my race plan, and yep. every now and again, ten percent of that was panic mode. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam's just a really good athlete, and yeah, I, I you know the doubt comes knocking every now and again. So it was actually I was quite enjoying the opportunity to to implement, I guess, some of my uh, mental strategies that I'd tried to build in my build up to the race where I knew that there were times that I would probably be doubting myself so I had a few kind of I guess cues to help me recenter my own kind of uh, thoughts and processes back to the here and now and and yeah as I say sticking to my race strategy which is easier said than done in the heat of battle and especially when you're looking at a deficit of seven minutes mm. um, but I'm pretty proud to say on the most part I was able to kind of um, yeah as I say cue myself back to my own sort of process and focus on myself. Can you share an example of how that works like you know because all athletes want to figure out how to stay focused and on the right path so so you have maybe a doubt moment a panic moment what, what do you what do you do at that moment? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm lucky. My One of my support crew members, John Andrews, uh, who's an Olympic, uh, ex-Olympic track cyclist and has done some coaching with HPSNZ in the past. Um, we had a good chat because he's done a bit around mental skills as part of his uh, coaching development in HPSNZ. And so we came up with three cues basically together and they were uh, to breathe, to drop my shoulders and to smile. So... I probably, it would have been more than a hundred times in the space of 11 hours where I said, breathe, drop your shoulders and smile. And uh, I think they were three kind of really clever ways just to recenter. Mm. Um, when you think about your breathing, you obviously um, move your thoughts back to yourself. And, and when you um, drop your shoulders, for me, it's a way of removing tension because generally if I'm stressed, I carry tension through my shoulders. I tend to sort of, yeah, the old shoulders start to creep up towards the ears. <laughs> yeah. And and for paddling and time trialing and running, it's actually a really good cue, I reckon, dropping yeah. my shoulders. Because it's also efficiency, At, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You remove yeah. that tension from unwanted areas and yeah. that energy can move back to the important parts of the body. So, and then the smile one, I mean, I think there's quite a bit of research out there now, isn't there, about um, how the physical act of smiling actually translates into better performance. Yeah. We saw that in a sub two, didn't we? You know, he's, he was, you know, you thought he was having a good time, you know, like, you know, like it, it, it obviously works, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Admittedly, my smile would have looked more like a grimace most of the time, <laughs> but in my head, I was smiling. <laughs> so you, you, you actually you obviously had a pretty good quake because you came out of the, out of the boat. I think you're about about a minute down, but he had a pretty slow transition. So I was doing the corner, I was doing the commentary at the corner. By the end, by the time of the bridge, you've probably made 40 seconds in transition. So you came off the out of the boat, you you're obviously gained on him. So you pretty much know you had it then, or was it what was the game there? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I would like to think that I was just too caught up in the moment to be thinking about whether I had it or not. Okay. But I was motivated by the idea that I had taken time back on the river and I still had my strongest leg to come, which was that 70k time trial into a bit of a nor'easterly towards Christchurch. That's sort of a place I consider more or less my happy place, to be honest, sitting on my TT bike with a bit of wind. Yeah. Um, that's nor'easterly wind. I wasn't um, farting 
although <laughs> I probably was. Yeah. It's amazing what 10 hours of energy gels does to the gut. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, I still hadn't seen Sam. That was the big one. For 10 hours, I had not seen Sam. So it's really hard to truly believe something until you can see it. And so the big change happened along South Air Road where that two and a half minutes became two, it became one and a half, it became one. And then once it was one minute, I started to catch a glimpse of him up the road and, and that was a turning point mentally. And once you pass, obviously you want to pass with strength to kind of mentally break somebody, but but obviously you pretty much knew you were in a good position. Is it just beat yourself up home, just enjoy your ride? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I knew what was already working and that was just keeping a good level head, um, keeping the pressure on the pedals, keeping my effort consistent, staying on top of my nutrition, you know, all that it's, it's, it's sort of almost boring to talk yeah. about, but it's really just the process. Eh? Yeah. And it had, it had worked because it had got me back to the front of the race. So I didn't want to change anything just because I was now leading the race. Yeah. Um, I, I guess with about 10, 15 K to go, you're really starting to come into the um, suburbs of Christchurch. And it's amazing who will stand at the front of their driveway or on street corners to cheer you through. And because there was a lead vehicle with its little sirens going, people knew that the first athlete was coming through. And so the support, even as I say, 15 K out, the support was unreal. So you sort of do the sport for a while, like I have, and you realize that, um, you know, these moments are precious and I wasn't complacent, but I also really wanted to make sure I was enjoying the feeling of coming in as the leader of the coast to coast with a very good chance of crossing the finish line first. So admittedly with 10 to 15 K to go, I started to um, nod my head and wave my hands and basically acknowledge people that were standing out there supporting me on the way through. Which is, you know, I I get it. You're an athlete. It's your job. There's a, but, but it's important that you do embrace those moments because, as you say, that moment happens only a few times in an athletic career, doesn't it? You know, you, Absolutely. you, you win a big race like that, you know, realistically, most athletes are probably going to have 10, well, not even that, you know, but in endurance sport, maybe if you're lucky to have 10 moments like that in your career, to take a moment to enjoy, it's really important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember sitting at the briefing with you on the Thursday and I think there were 1,200 athletes yeah. across all the, um, yeah. you know, various categories and things and for every athlete there's support crew and there's family and so there's a pretty big crowd and I thought to myself it's probably a bit presumptuous but in my mind I thought to myself if I'm lucky enough to be the fastest person out of this entire crowd I am sure as hell going to enjoy it and I'm sure as hell going to acknowledge as many people as I can because that's a pretty fortunate place to be. Yeah what a nice perspective. Hey so so you 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 did Ironman how long did you do Ironman for? Uh, I, I debuted in actually what was back then the Challenge Wanaka full distance in 2014. And the last time I did an Ironman was last year's Ironman New Zealand 2020. So I guess, yeah, there's been about a six-year period there where I've been doing various Ironman events around the world. And when you were kind of doing Ironman, you still were doing multi-sport as well. Was, you were kind of doing both at the time. But was it was the, uh, the Ironman the main focus or was it kind of, I see myself as a kind of mixed athlete? Now, Ironman was definitely the main focus. I certainly wasn't doing events like Coast to Coast because yeah. I would just get thrashed if I wasn't focusing fully on it. Mm. Um, but I was doing some adventure racing events in China and places like that because the kayaking is less uh, 
I guess influential, you end up in these double C kayaks and if you can paddle half decent with your teammate, then you're going to go all right. So I was definitely an Ironman athlete that was dabbling in adventure racing opposed to the other way around. And so why pull back from Ironman? Um, I think, yeah, for me, I'm really attracted to uh, the unknown and, and I love events that have a lot of variables and sort of an adventurous feel to them. So I'm probably describing the coast to coast, but I'm also describing adventure racing and multi-sport in general. Um, I was pretty stoked to do events like Challenge Roth and the Embran Man in France. So events that either have um, a lot of history and and profile, but also really unique courses. So that sort of satisfied that curiosity I had around the unknown. Um, But I guess on the most part for me and Ironman started to become a bit more predictable. The distances are standardized, you know, more or less what to expect. And also to be quite honest, as a semi-professional athlete, if, if you don't, if you're not fully, fully committed to Ironman, it's such a competitive world out there. And I just um, have too much respect for the professional athletes to think that I can kind of go into it um, half-hearted, yeah, and expect to do well. So, wait, wait, so the difference between training an Ironman and like a coast to coast or multi sport events is it, is it what's changed in this five? You know, you've done five years Ironman. You for specific. What what's difference in the way you train as an athlete? Because I know it's all endurance sport, but obviously, and it's slightly different skills. But is the programming kind of similar? But you're just doing different skills, or is it what, what's the difference? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of similarities because yeah. even, I mean, if you think about the big difference is obviously you're either swimming or you're kayaking, depending yeah. on which one you're doing. But even so, you know, swimming, it might be, you know, a main set might be 2100, sort of a threshold 2100 set turning around. For me, I was, I was never a super fast swimmer. So I might have had a, say, a 140 turnaround time or something like that. Kayaking, it might be, you know, you might do um, 10 times five minutes at a pace. So for me, that pace might be four minute 50 per K pace with a two minute easy paddle between each. Uh, and so, you know, two different sports, two very different settings, but the structure's still there um, and the general kind of approach to programming still there. Yeah. I guess the big difference for me personally is would I rather be swimming up and down a swimming pool or doing my... 10 times five minutes out on Lake Wanaka looking at the mountains. So yeah, yeah. Um, that, that to me was sort of the reason I migrated back again towards multi-sport. But I think what I do miss about the training for an Ironman is those small percentages that you're looking for. Yeah. It's quite exciting to think that you've really, you know, it might be, I've got to get my threshold pace in the pool down by two seconds per hundred to get into that second pack in the swim which will be a better platform for the rest of my race so you're looking for such small gains yeah which is and, which is uh, ironic in such a long race oh totally you know yeah, like yeah. you know you know in a race it's you know for you is going to be kind of eight to nine hours or eight, eight and a half hours um you know like it's it is that thing of these little moments that define this such a long event absolutely yeah. and it's such a such a global of uh, sport too ironman so you know multi-sport is it's a pretty small world and I love it for that reason as well, but uh, I do miss the opportunity to to race some of these, you know, world famous athletes, really, which is inevitably who you end up bumping into on start lines when you're doing Ironman. Is there any difference as a pro? 
like you know not just the way you train but just in, in the functionality of you know making a living as a multi-sport athlete in comparison to making a living as an Ironman pro yeah i would say there's some big differences i mean i was never a, a world-class ironman athlete so it's tricky to compare because i would consider myself a world-class multi-sport athlete but i was always kind of a second tier pro i guess in the ironman world so for me personally it was much harder to make a profession out of ironman racing I mean, by the time you've flown to Western Australia or I did Ironman Sweden, I did Ironman Canada, uh, you know, the prize purses alone were never going to be sufficient, I guess. Mm. Whereas for me as a multi-sport athlete, I've managed to be lucky to connect with some key brands that actually have more interest in me promoting myself as a multi-sport athlete. There's probably a lot less travel involved. So as a professional, for me, multi-sport's been a lot more viable. Uh, but yeah, as I say, that's me comparing myself as a world-class multi-sporter against a second-tier Ironman pro. So it'd be very different for your Terenzos and your yeah. Braden. You know, Braden would be an interesting person to ask because he's sort of been world-class at both. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing him obviously putting Kona in the spotlight for his every year for his. Um, you know, that's his goal event. So that suggests, I guess, that he's seeing more professional opportunities in Ironman than he did as a multi-sporter. Um, one, one question I was thinking about just then is when when you let's see I've gone totally blank on my question I had a question in my head there it was around oh no so at the at the pro briefing I asked Simone what she found harder Ironman or coast to coast and I hadn't asked you and and so what's your thoughts on that because you've done both both to a very high level and I know you know I was not trying to say one's better than the other but just as a race physically or, or what's the different challenges and what did you find do you find harder. I think I, I remember Richard Usher answered that um, by saying, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he said that mentally the coast to coast was harder mm. and that physically an Ironman was harder. Mm. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there. I would go the opposite. I would okay. go the opposite to Richard. I think I found Ironman harder mentally because you're completely on display the whole time. Oh. And so you you know, I like to think that I race for my own set of reasons and my own kind of why. And the uh, the Coast to Coast course allows me just to basically go into hiding for hours at a time and just do my thing. Yeah. Whereas I always struggled mentally leading into an Ironman, knowing that everything I did on the day would be there for everyone to see. Wow, that's so it was quite distracting. Yeah. Um, Even but, though you knew you're not to put the focus on the external, it's hard not to do exactly yeah. yeah 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 totally um yeah and i don't know i i do i do perform better when i've got my own sort of space like my wind trainer sessions can be brutal and and all i ask is that the kids just stay out of the garage while dad does that because yeah. the moment there's someone around me i yeah i just can't kind of go into that hurt locker quite okay. like i can if i'm on my own yeah so the same probably goes for racing so kind of like like in a coast to coast the solitude of the race after that first bike ride allows you to kind of just go into that zone you like to be within that state you like to be within yourself yeah yeah um, totally yeah and uh, yeah and the nature of that coast to coast course allows for a very individualized approach to the race once you get off that first bike ride there's really no physical advantage to being around others there's no drafting effect or anything like that yeah and so yeah but for that reason as i say in contrary to what richard usher said physically i think the coast to coast is harder yeah. 
um, there's much less opportunity to save energy by being around others. Yep. Um, the run, you know, the the marathon at the back end of an Ironman is brutal. Don't get me wrong. Like mm. I've suffered like everybody else has in that part of the race. But you can switch off and just plod. Whereas in the in the run and the coast to coast, the moment you switch off, you are going to nosedive onto some rocks because yeah. you've got to concentrate so much. Yeah. It's a very dynamic run. You, you, you can't just, as I say, settle into a little rhythm and just plod along. You're always leaping, bounding, climbing, scrambling. It's um, physically a much bigger test, I think. Yeah. And then it yeah and then it continues you've still got a 70k paddle and a time trial into the wind so yeah physically for me the coast to coast is the is the big one um just just before we move on from ironman what, what look in your ironman time what are your proudest achievements uh definitely winning challenge wanaka a couple of times at home um, as a professional and i think back like luke mckenzie um matt russell joe skipper like kona yeah, yeah guys you know yeah yeah uh brayden at one stage uh dylan who had won it three times there were some good athletes in that race when i was winning and i probably had no right to i was sort of a 54 minute 55 minute swimmer but i used to just um go hard on the bike always solo because i was never in any groups and then um i would just ride the high of being at home on that marathon and hold on for dear life so those were a couple of races that um, meant a lot to win but even some of the ones I didn't win like I came second at Ironman Western Australia to Terenzo I came second at Ironman Sweden to Patrick Nilsson um, you know those races were a um, a long way from home yeah. and b uh, up against again sort of greats of the sport so uh, yeah I was I just had some some awesome experiences racing like you live in, a, you know, for John and I have often talked about how just if you have a chance, get, do a challenge Wanaka because it's just one of the most stunning courses in the world. But that's your that's your playground, and and obviously you got Braden there. Are you guys good training buddies? Like, is it obviously a pretty good crew of athletes in your area? And what's it like the community like in you know for multi sports slash and triathletes in Wanaka? Yeah, I guess it's like anything; it becomes normal because it's what you're used to seeing every day. Yeah. But when you when you step back and think about it. Yeah, Wanaka is a pretty unique place. There's yeah. a lot of, uh, there's a big chunk of this community that love to be involved in endurance events of, in all forms. And so Challenge Wanaka has been a huge part of that, I guess, um, growth of the sport in the community. Um, Braden and I do train together. We are really good mates. We've both got young families. We've got a lot in common, big respect for each other. We're both probably loners a little bit when it comes to training. And so we do make an effort to try and hook up for some bike rides and things at times. Um, but yeah, as I say, we're, we're probably more naturally kind of solitude type trainers. So even though we do like to hang out and we do spend time together, we spend most of our time doing our own thing, really. I'm interested in that. I remember talking to Bevan Doherty. We, we one time, we never actually interviewed Bevan, but I was just talking to him one day and he always trained alone. And, and you know, he was doing hard, you know, Olympics fast kind of stuff. And he, and I always found it interesting because I'm such a social character that I always, and I love the challenge of people around me. What, what do you think drives you as a solo trainer? Because obviously, you're a very good solo trainer. What are those things that ticks that motivation for you as in just that kind of a solo trainer? Yeah, it's funny because. I don't think uh, 
I train solo because um, I want to be necessarily alone when I'm training. I just think training happened in my life because I like solitude. I think I came into the sport. I mean, I came into the sport when I was at university. I'd been playing rugby. I had some concussions. I sort of had to stop playing rugby and uh, I needed a new outlet. I, I knew how important exercise would be for me for my lifetime. And so the, for a bunch of reasons, I found myself running and mountain biking and eventually kayaking. And the big attraction for me was just accessing some solitude every day, preferably in the outdoors, you know. And for me, I think it's important for anyone, to be honest, to just find a little bit of time each day, preferably in sort of natural surrounds. Uh, I, I just think it's in our DNA mm. and, and as I say, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be mountain biking, kayaking, running. You could live in New York city and just go down to central park and sit under a tree for half an hour. Yeah. But yeah, I think the solitude was always a big reason why I found myself getting involved in endurance sport. And so, so it's almost like there's this kind of, um, there's this kind of st- alignment you have with a solitude time and then you like to get in these high emotional states by training hard while you're there totally yeah yeah and i know if i've got say a four-hour ride and there are exceptions i i as i say i will um, link up with Braden, and i love going for a ride with him it usually ends in eating a couple of pies and a coffee but uh how you burnt it yeah exactly but what i think I feel when I look at my program and see a four hour ride, it's just a sense of excitement that there's going to be four hours in that day where I'll just tune out and uh, get lost in my own thoughts. And as I say, I just think it's a really healthy place to exist for anyone. Yeah. Love your work. So, so, cause you're still quite young. How old are you? Well, it depends how you well, define I'm 40, young. I'm 43, <laughs> mate. So, you know, I could say. Okay. That. Now I feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. 35. So, so, but you've still got, you know, like, how, like when you look at your career, how many years do you see yourself being competing at a high level um, as an, you know, as a pro? Yeah, not many, to be honest. Okay. Um, I've, I've probably got one more coast to coast. And uh, that's for a bunch of reasons. But uh, yeah, as I say, I think I've got one more coast to coast as an elite athlete. And just depending on what happens with the COVID thing, that, that could be it. Um, otherwise, if the world reopens, I'd love to get back with my team, which is Sam Manson, Sam Clark, Simone Meyer, and I, we, we go to China and places and do these adventure races. And it's just, it's awesome. It's tough racing. It's a bloody good time. And it's also an opportunity to make a bit of extra pocket money. So if that were to happen, it would keep me in the sport for a bit longer. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, as I say, I'm not really looking past next year's coast to coast, and that will probably be the last time I I don the don the shoes as an elite athlete. Just just lastly, because you know, like a lot of people have really even experienced that kind of endurance multi day endurance events. You know, like like have you done like the eco challenge and stuff like that? I've done forms of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what's that game like? Cause you're a fast athlete, you know, like, you know, I always think of those races as just slow and go. Um, but, but what's that like when you're obviously you're at the pointy end, you're trying to compete at those races. What's that game like? Yeah. I mean, it's a different type of hard for sure. Yeah. And, and it's probably the, the toughest type of racing I've ever done. 
Um, I've done the likes of the God Zone and yeah. and uh, Eco Motion in Brazil. In fact, I was lucky to race Eco Motion and Team Seagate yeah. a few years back. Which, for those that don't follow adventure racing, Team Seagate's a New Zealand outfit um, led by Nathan Fave, and they're probably they would be the the most successful adventure racing team in history. Mm. And so that was a real honour. And man, did I learn some some things about the sport by spending six days nonstop racing with those guys. And, and I guess to, to summarize it, and this probably um, gives a good kind of insight into the sport. Those guys aren't successful because they go fast. They're successful because they never go slow. So they're just constantly moving. Even if it were, you know, a toilet stop, you're not going to stop one by one. They're, They're organized enough that if they're stopping, if someone needs to stop to, go to the loo they all do it in, in one hit because that's less time yeah, stationary if you need to teams. if you need to get a headlamp out because it's starting to get dark you're asking your teammate to grab it out for you while you're still moving forward and so as i say that the first 24 hours i was um it was an anti-climax i'm like man these guys aren't that fast and then by days three day four i'm like God, I wish we'd stop just for a moment. Like this is relentless. Really? Wow. And, and over over a six day race, how much sleep did you get? Oh, we probably we might have got five or six hours over 125 <laughs> hours of. I love racing. Like, oh, the way you the way you, you guys can't see this, but the way I'm on video right now, the way you see it, I was expecting to say like because he looks so casual about it. I was expecting like 12, 15. Oh, we got five or six. You know. Like, <laughs> but the other thing I find fascinating about that sport, and you know, because you come from a, this individual sport. You're doing a sport with human dynamics under stress. What's that like? Yeah, it's sometimes it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, and there are stressful moments in the sport and it's different. You're either, I mean, you can look at that as the individual style of racing where you're under stress and you've only got yourself to turn yeah. to. But also in that team style of racing, um, it's really interesting when you've got teammates that are under under stress and the other teammates that are sort of trying to um, manage that situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder the likes of eco challenge have become reality TV shows because uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of drama and what I often say to people is just to really um, pick your teammates quite wisely leading into an adventure race because it's not who you can get on with over a coffee at the cafe. It's who you can get on with when you're sleep deprived and shit hits the fan kind well, of thing and, and the other thing is you probably don't even know yourself you know you've got to leave yourself in there because how often do we have that moment in our life before a race you know like how you, learning it's i imagine it's such an interesting inner learning experience yeah yeah and this is where i think sport's so empowering eh? because yeah. sport exposes you to really stressful situations you you're well outside your comfort zone a lot of the time and so you're asking yourself much bigger questions than you would if you were sitting in the comfort of your own home and i think obviously that's that's where growth happens and and for a lot of people that's what they set out to expose themselves to and so yeah in some ways the stress is just not a nice feeling but in other ways it's exactly what we sign up for yeah great hey um thanks for coming on the show mate um so you do some coaching so if, if people want to like look at you for some coaching where do they go uh, yeah, I've got a website like everyone else, I guess. Yeah. My website's dougalallen.com. And, and, and any so plugs you want to give for anything else? Uh, not really, no. I mean, I'm, I'm 
very fortunate, obviously, to still be doing the sport. I've been doing it for 15 years, and so, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but there's obviously, it takes a village, and so I'm really lucky. I've got a wonderfully supportive wife and two kids. Um, I've got some great sponsors, and uh, I'm always really appreciative of the sort of support I get out on course and obviously through social media and things. So thank you to anyone who's sort of followed and supported my journey in the sport, and hopefully, uh, you know, in my own sort of way, I've been able to, throw that support back in, in the direction of my my followers. Well, it was awesome seeing you come home strong last week and take it that win. Um, great having on the show, mate, and keep up all the good work and we'll catch up sometime soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. So John hasn't heard the interview, but one thing... Totally disagree. I mean, so much harder than Coast to Coast. Is there no, what he, no, he, said, no, he would have said oh, Coast to Coast is way harder, I bet. No, what he said was that the harder for different reasons. Hmm. One thing he said he struggled with with Ironman was people watching your race all day. Mm-hmm. And you feel kind of as, you know, you kind of, you can't hide. Mm-hmm. And he, so you see, he felt, Iron, Coast to Coast is a physically more challenging race. Mm-hmm. But mentally, he felt Ironman was presented a challenge that he struggled with. Mm. Yeah, which was interesting because he just said, you're so exposed. Because mm. everyone's watching, you know, you were Coast to Coast, you know, it's a bit different or multi-sport. The thing I found fascinating, and people would have heard this, is because he did some of those like eco challenges mm-hmm. and he did it with Team Seagate. And he was talking about when he raced with their team, they just never stop. Mm. And he said, the, the things like going to the toilet, we always go to the toilet at the same time. So if you know you're going to toilet, okay, 20 minutes, we're all going to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to change your light, you don't stop changing light. One guy's grabbing your pack and he just said, when the first day he did with them, he was like, oh, you know, it's a, you know, this is pretty slow. And then after like, you know, because I think it was a six-day race. It's like, when, when are we going to just pause? <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, so um, great interview. Little things like that add up so much in, in all forms of racing. And that's, you know, when, when Team Sky came along and cycling, it was just all those little oh, really? they mini, just percent, found the- mini percenters that all add up. And so we've got the America's Cup happening in, in New Zealand so at the moment. yesterday? Uh, yeah, that was a bit of a bore. We, yeah, we, well, we kind yeah. of made a big thing. We'll go to the airport, get the Coro Lounge nice and early, <laughs> so watch the two eat, races. So I can eat more. this place <laughs> out of business. <laughs> And uh, you didn't after about racing. 15 minutes, I was like, I just went and sat down. But, but the difference there, and again, it's just little tiny things. The yeah. two boats are about the same speed, rough, roughly. Yeah. The other one was just a little bit quicker, and it just eked out, eked out, eked out, eked out. And that's the kind of thing, and, and that kind of racing, and any kind of racing, if you can... If you've got the basics all right, yep. then you start to focus on those little things that makes a big difference. The Where's problem the for most age group athletes is they focus on the little... Not most, I shouldn't say that. A lot of age group athletes focus on the little 0.1 of percenters, half percenters, but then they don't focus on the 95 yeah. percenters, which is just your your bread and butter. Yeah, if, 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 if you're not a strong rider trying to get lose, you know, a gram off your bike, mm. you know, you're winning an Ironman. Yeah. You know, it's a different beast. And so you, where are you going to put your energy? No, I, yeah, it, I also get it. If you've got the money, you can buy mm. that. Fair enough. Uh, John, let's go winger of the week. Give me a number, 1 to 100, Bevan. 1 to 100. I'm going to say 20 seconds, because today is 10 years to the day we had the earthquakes. It is indeed. 20 seconds. And just while we do that, John, I've got to say, this podcast is pretty bloody cool, and we love what you know you guys listen to the show. But around the quakes, the audience was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Seriously. Um, a, the support that John and I got. B, we fundraised. How much did we end up fundraising? Uh, it was like 50 grand or something, wasn't it? It was, it was quite a lot. stupid like that. Yeah. Unbelievable, you know, it was just, it was absolutely awesome. I'm really proud of that. Like, and you know, it's really cool that this little thing that John and I do, do is help people. But, but more, you know, you, what you guys have done for the show is also really awesome as well. So, thank you for those people who have been 
if we listen to the show and just at that time who helped at that time because it was it was quite mind blowing really. Ten years ago to this day. Okay, Jeff, number twenty two. Jeff Fitchfar from Team Everyman Jack. Fitchfar. Uh, I probably pronounced it wrong. Jeff, I know we know you listen to the show, so apologies if I have. He swam two hours twenty last week, biked ten hours and forty one minutes, Fifa. and swam and ran five hours and six minutes for a total of eighteen hours and nine minutes. Tell you what, everyone's totals were a little bit less last week for some reason. He's been consistent for the last three months. This, uh, this may not. Uh, the reason that might be is we're recording a day earlier, and everybody's Sunday training uh, may well not be updated yep, yet. No, I think you're right. Uh, he is from Ponte Verde Beach in. Florida, Jeff races for every uh, team, every man Jack. They've got a lot of speedy age groupers. The last four weeks, he's averaged five rides a week, average distance per week, 215Ks, and average time riding, seven hours, 35. And last four weeks, averaging six runs per week and averaging an hour, seven minutes per week in swimming. Very That's, solid. Yeah, it's solid. Nice work. Solid. Solid, John Solid. So, Jeff, you are our wanger of the week. week. Okay, Jombo, let's uh, let's just we've got no questions answers because we're doing this early. So, let's say thank you to our patrons, Aaron, the proprietor, Morgan. You can do the second end of Tom, Commander Pio, Salbright. I've got Tim, the superstar carpenter, and Magic Big Miss Zekant. Okay, guys, uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to Bevan James. Oh, no, you can go to my God, just plug your own bloody yeah, stuff, yeah, why don't you? Yeah, patron of my podcast. <laughs> Actually, I, if you want, if you, I basically recently woke up, realized I would need to create some pretty massive change in my life um, in a good way. And uh, I did a big podcast on this. So if you're in a moment in your life where you're thinking, oh, I need to create some change, you may want to check out my latest podcast, which I released literally before John came around this morning. Um, get the show email to imtalk.me, bottom of the page. It's also where you become a patron. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. My podcast is bevanjamesos.com. Cool content, content such as Age Group of the Week, websites, other feedback, imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John. You got you had the bow bow one. That's right. Two and a bit. How much days. weight you put on? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna lose some weight in the next few weeks. Because, because that way. we've heard about we've heard about the the Coral Lounge. Yeah. Two sessions and one you went you went two hours early for. Well, plus there was epic eating all day every day. Well, that's uh, what I said. Because uh, outside of that, because when you came around, I said, "How was your weekend?" He said, oh, "I was really good." And I said, "What were the highlights?" And you go eating. We did eat some yummy food stuff on Cuba Street. There's some really nice restaurants down there. Uh, Loretta went there twice, once nice. for dinner, once for That's when you know you've got a good restaurant, hey? Yeah. When you go back to the same place twice. And then Ombra, that was good for dinner. Yes, yeah, so just a basically a weekend of eating. Main thing was away from the kids. Went to Tapapa, did a bit of shopping. Have they still got the war thing? Yep, Gallipoli, yep. Um, we went around that last time though, so just a bit wandering around. Did a couple of cool runs. Probably go to Wellington, try to get away from Bevan. Running along and see my chalk, chalk on the ground. You're doing great. Yeah, you're awesome. Keep it going. You're running so well. God, you can't escape me, mate. But no, did two two good runs. Went up to Mount Victoria with Belinda and then did a five k hard along the waterfront. That's a great run, eh? Yeah, nice hard run. And then yesterday did uh, about two hour, over two hour run down the all the way down the southern walkway through Victoria down to a beautiful beach, and then got a bit lost and made my way back. I do love Wellington. It's a cool city, eh? John's not, John's not so yeah. sure it's for his face. <laughs> <laughs> he is not sold on Wellington. Um, you can't. You don't judge a city by its weather, but it was windy both days, oh, and Wellington. I think it wasn't wasn't windy by Wellington standards. And the weather was a bit 
just a bit chilly, always a bit cold. Um, but it was, I like going to Wellington for just a little little trip away. Biking, I think I mean, you Wellingtonians can tell me otherwise, but biking would be a bit of a challenge there. Um, tough, running running is great, great running. You'd be tough. Mm. Make you strong, wouldn't it? You would be very resilient, all sorts of one. Kona would be just a standard day at the office. Well, this is one of those places where sometimes you see people on the news holding onto poles. Mm. You know, like it's that level of wind and it's renowned. Why did they get it built there, I wonder? Was it just a port a good thing? port place. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's interesting. So, thank you, Wellington. Nice weekend away. What about this week? What's the, what's the plan? This you, got, you got Tuesday free. I've got Tuesday morning free, um, but I've got to catch up on everything I was supposed to be doing on Monday morning, oh, so sorry. it's okay. Sorry. I'm not complaining, not complaining. I know uh, three weeks out from Cedar Sky Challenge, so it's starting to get... The problem is I've got to get, be ready, and I've got everything sort of in place if we change our alert levels oh, in New Zealand. Sucks. The problem is you've got to put all this work in, which may you not need. Mm, so that's a little frustrating, but... Happy to be racing. Yep. No problems there. Yep. Uh, so I haven't got too much exciting to report on this week. You looking forward to the cricket tonight? It's free on, free on Channel 1. Oh, what time does it start? 10 to 7. Oh, I'll probably kick off at 7. Okay. Yeah, might watch a little bit of cricket. Yeah, Australia has just come to New Zealand. Again, it got out of quarantine yesterday. Yep. After a 2020 match tonight. It's in Christchurch. It's I out. always worry when we play Australia. We're good against everybody else. We're, We're usually it, rubbish. It, we do suck against Australia. They're so good at cricket. But against everybody else, we can beat everybody else. Just we never play. We never play them at home. Mm. We, you know, we never play Australia. Like, where's the last time we had a test against Australia and New Zealand? Mm. You know, that's because we same seasons. And mm. but you know, it'd be really nice to have a test against Australia here. What's happening for you, Bevan? Well, uh, what, 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 I went for a bike ride yesterday. I got on the bike. Nice okay. chains, all nice and lubed, and bikes all I, sparkly. I lubed it up. Yeah, I got a flat tire. Right, but not today. I'm not last yesterday, but this morning I went to coach. Turn up. Flat tire. Had to get a lime scooter to coach on. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, well, I can't run. Yeah. You know, like I'm and you don't know how to change spare tire? Well, no, I didn't have my gear. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have my gear with me, so I can change the spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But luckily, because lime scooters, when they first came out, they were everywhere, but they're not, obviously, they, they, they pulled back because they weren't using them as much. But there was just one just up the road. I was like, thank oh, God really? for that. Yeah, so I used lime scooter to coach with. And I rode out to Tie Tap. Yeah. I only did like yeah. an hour 20 because I've got to be careful but um, Jesus bring back the memories mate getting up your hill at the end you live a bit further up now it's oh, a bit of hard work it was pretty tough going up the hill at the end <laughs> and I don't want to push the tempo my, 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 my nerve pain I've been really disciplined for the work I'm doing and it's working really well so I don't want to get too keen mm-hmm. um, but it was lovely riding a bike good so I don't do a lot of nowadays so you know occasionally I might do up along the hill but yeah, it was quite nice to ride a bike. So I did that, and then Joe and I are heading to Tikapo for a few days. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm kind of off work, so I thought, well, why don't we go get away and support the economy? Exactly. You know, go down to Tikapo and go. Where do you go to eat there? They don't have huge amount of eateries. No, I was literally about to say that Tikapo is awesome, but limited eating out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is limited. And it's unfortunate, really, because mm. there's potential. Mm. And then, other than that, John, looking forward to the cricket tonight. And then I should finish my book this week. Great. Excited about that. So then it probably won't be released till the end of the year, but the book's starting. So there you go. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Andrew. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.